We're going to jump into today's text. Go with me to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. We're in a series called Take the Land, which is all about stepping into what God is calling us as both individuals and as a church in 2021 and beyond. And as we've been walking through this series, we've been looking at moments through the life of the Israelite nation led by a man named Joshua immediately after 40 years wandering in the wilderness And before that, they'd been slaves in Egypt for for generations. And so now they're coming into a new home, a new space. And it's all about how do they lean into this new time? Because I know for a lot of us, we're kind of trying to get our legs back under us. And so listening to the words and the stories of our forebears, those who are faithful men and women from generations past, I believe can give us clarity as well as energy to move into the future. And so today, I want us to look at this very familiar text but I believe it may have some unusual or new insights for us today. So if you will, look with me. Joshua 5, beginning in verse 13, says this. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. May God bless his people in the reading of his word. If you want to take notes, today's message is simply titled this. It's time to pick a side. It is time to pick a side. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you this morning that as we have read and as we see, that we will each in this room decide to pick a side. And that as a result, this world... And our lives will never be the same. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make a very obvious statement, but just give me a little oh yeah if you happen to agree with it. Here's the statement. We live in a world that is marked as us versus them. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? That we live in an us versus them kind of world? Oh yeah. I I mean, I'm watching the news this week, and we can neither celebrate an outgoing president nor pray for an incoming one. We can never pray for an outgoing president or celebrate an incoming one. There's this us versus them mentality, but it's not simply in politics. It's also in the pews at church. Have you noticed this, family? That in the church itself, there are moments where we tend to be more about what our team versus them. It's about what we get versus others. It's about standing strong, looking a certain way, being a certain people. And so there's this us versus them kind of world that we live in. If you know what I'm talking about, say, oh yeah, again. We live in us, them world. Now, What I want to talk to you this morning is we've been talking about taking the land. And you remember, let me just sort of give you a a recap. We began by looking at the reality that God has given each of us land to take. 
And all of us have the three same categories of land, although our land is different. Your land includes where you live, where you work, and where you play. And so we've talked about how God has given you a unique calling in your life to reach the people where you live, where you work, and where you play. That God has given you responsibilities and opportunities, and he has equipped you to do that. But then last week we said that the greatest challenge to taking the land for many of us It's going to be this four-letter word of fear. That not taking a step is making a decision. And that often, because of fear, we miss out on God's blessings. But as the Israelites found, it was only when they stepped foot into the raging river of the Jordan that they saw the miracle of God parting the waters and giving them safe passage through. And so God has given you land, God has area for you to take, and you will see God work as you boldly step into those new spaces. But here's the thing. It's at this point in the series that I've got to do a, a little corrective lens therapy for many of us because I'm afraid for Josh, maybe for you as well, but I know for me it's easy to begin to think God has given me land to take. God is going to give me the ability to take it. So God must be all about me. And I'm just glad I'm me and I'm not them. But this is where we need to take a moment and recognize that God is about to show up in Joshua's life and in the life of the nation of Israel before they see victory over Jericho, the first stronghold in this new land that they are conquering. God shows up to confront Joshua. And church, I want to make clear, God loves you, but some of us he's going to have to confront this morning and clarify that this is not an us versus them situation. That we do not live in an us versus them world. Now I know it's easy to forget that because you are a them for someone else, right? Even if you don't have thems, there are thems who have you. And so we live in a world that is constantly at odds with each other. And so Joshua, I love this moment. Joshua comes to this place and you can almost see what's going on. They've just come over the Jordan River. They're staying in this place called Gilgal. And now he looks... And there is Jericho, this massive fortress, this impenetrable place. Joshua has already sent in two spies. They have looked around. They have seen the city. They met a prostitute named Rahab. She confessed belief in God, and she has now been promised that she will be saved while the rest of the city is lost. But Joshua stands there, and he looks, and he sees the city. And as he's standing there, it says that he saw a man with his sword drawn. Now Joshua at this point was somewhere in his late 70s to early 80s. He's not a terribly young guy. And yet, when he sees a warrior in front of him, he does not back down and run away, but he takes the challenge. And he comes up to this man, and Joshua asks an us-them question, doesn't he? He says, hey, that's Hebrew in English. Hey, are you for us or them? Everybody say us. Everybody say them. He says, are you for us or are you for them? And actually, he goes one step further. He doesn't say, are you for us or them? He says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Because if you're not with me, you must be my enemy. 
And I love this moment because Joshua, like so many of us, thought that the primary issue in the world was horizontal. It was this line separating us from them, that there is a space between us and them. And he thought the primary problem in the world was horizontal. And then he asked the question of this commander of the army of heaven, and he gets an answer he does not expect. He says, are you for us or for our enemies? In other words, you better step up or I'm going to take you out. And the the commander of the army of heaven says, neither. Huh? It's like, are you with us? Are you with them? And he goes, nope. How many of you have children and you ask them, would you like a hot dog? Would you like a hamburger? And they say, no. No wasn't an option. I didn't give you that option. Or maybe you're like, our family, and the kids get real creative. They're like, no, no, I'd like a pizza. We're like, no, that's not an option. Where did you come up with that? I love this. Joshua thinks in very much us, them terms. There can only be two options in his world. Is that true of ours as well? God is either for me or against me. God is either for me and against my enemies or he is for my enemies and against me. But how is it possible that God might have a different option? And so he says, us, them, and God says, neither. Instead, he says, Joshua, you're giving me two options. I don't like either one of them. I'm going to pose a new option to you, Joshua. See, the reality is it's not us versus them, but put this up. A lot of us need to raise our gaze and realize the issue is not between men and women, us and each other. Rather, the division is not horizontal. It's always and ever been vertical. Do you know what I mean when I say this? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God makes everything perfect. We have relationship with God, and because we have perfect relationship with God, we have perfect relationship with one another and with nature. And with ourselves, we are not guilty or full of shame. Life is perfect because we are in perfect relationship with God. But when man and woman sinned against God, separating themselves from God, the result was they began and we began to separate ourselves from one another. And so now the separation, folks, we see it horizontally, but it is only and always ever a vertical separation. If you have perfect relationship with God, and I have perfect relationship with God, then you and I will have a perfect relationship with each other. Do you see that? And the commander of the army of heaven says, the issue is not horizontal, it is vertical. Because here, here's the thing, go ahead and put this up. We have all sorts of divisions. Maybe it's educated and uneducated. Maybe it's the poor and the rich. Republicans, Democrats. Maybe it's black, white, Asian, Latino. Maybe it's if you watch Fox or CNN. Or maybe it's between men and women, married or single or divorced. Maybe it's young, old. Maybe you need to fill in the blank. But we have all these divisions. But do you notice the divisions are still below the line? The problem is this. It's like, as one friend said, he said, Josh, I feel like our nation is attempting to try to straighten the deck chairs on the Titanic and it's going down. Or, or may put it this way, you're in a nicer room on the Titanic, but you're still on the Titanic. In other words, if our relationship with God is out of whack, it doesn't matter if you take land here and now. Do you see what I'm saying, folks? 
That God is calling you, yes, to take land, but you need to understand that you're not taking land from someone else, but you're taking land for God and by God's power for God's purposes. This changes absolutely everything. Let me tell you how it changes everything. When you recognize that when you're taking land for God, that it's a relationship with Him, it's not to fight and steal or, or, or take from others. You say, wait a minute, what about this whole taking the land of Jericho, Josh? How, how does that jive with what you're talking about? Okay, let's talk. Yes, throughout Joshua, you're going to see God give the land of Canaan to the Israelite people. And, and by the way, some of us get really upset about this. And we can talk more about how could a good God call for the deaths of nations and all this. We're going to talk, in fact, in two weeks about this. We're going to deal with it in depth. So you need to be here. But here's what I would tell you. Do you notice that before they go into Jericho to take it out, Joshua sends two spies in. And what happens as a result of those two spies going in? There's a family that gets saved, correct? Rahab, her family? I wonder, and this is just conjecture, but is it possible, is it possible that God would have saved all of Jericho if all of Jericho had responded to God the way that Rahab responded to God? Do you see what I'm saying here? That God's heart is always for reconciliation and reunion of people, but when we have stiff necks, and we are unwilling to bow before him, there is a point at which God says, enough is enough, and I won't let your evil spill out anymore. But God's heart is for people and for reunion. So, here's the deal. If it is not us versus them, I think the real question is this. It's not us versus them. Rather, the question is, are we with him? That's the question this morning. The question is not us versus them. It's not against each other. It's not that we're going to take land, we're going to win. It's are we with him? Let me put it a different way. We want to know if God is on our team. But God wants to know if we are on his team. We want to know if God is on our team, but God wants to know, are you on his team? Let me show you what that means, just a couple things, and then we're going to call it a morning here. But I believe this changes absolutely everything. Because it changes why you take the land and how you take the land. Notice this in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 14. It makes this statement. He says, then Joshua fell. Notice this. These are a couple of hints that maybe you're on his team. It says he fell face down to the ground in reverence. Now some of your translations will say worship. And asked him, Joshua asked the commander, what message does my Lord have for his, what's that word? What's that word? Servant. He is asking God, what do you want from me? Instead of saying, here's what I want from you. Do you see the difference in relationship, family? The first thing you'll notice if you are on God's side is you will have whole life worship where you say, all of me before you, God. And your response will be, I'm not in charge, but you're in charge. In fact, notice the next thing that happens. God says, okay, if you are my servant, do this. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And notice this. And Joshua did so. Whole life worship and immediate obedience. Whole life worship and immediate obedience. This is the sign that you are on God's team. 
That you say, what I have is yours and I obey right away, all the way, and with a good attitude. By the way, that is the Diggs family definition of obedience. We got it from somewhere else, but we love it. That with our kids, we tell them obedience, and I've shared this with you before, but obedience is doing it right away, doing it all the way, and doing it with a good attitude. Right away, all the way, with a good attitude. That it's not simply enough to agree with what God says mentally. It must be now lived out practically. It's not enough to say, God, I like you. God, you're pretty cool. That's a pretty great suggestion, God. It's I will now do what you've said. And I will do it for the reason you said to do it. Now, let me show you why this makes such a big difference. Let's just talk for a moment practically here. This year... In a room this size and with people joining us online, there will be some of you today that you're going, I know the land God is calling me to take. Your marriage is not where it should be. Maybe there's something going on between you. Maybe there's something going on inside of you. And you know that the land you need to take is in your marriage. Let's just start here. If you believe that it is an us versus them world, then you will approach taking land not with your spouse, But you'll see it as taking land from your spouse. Every argument is an argument for you to win, not for the benefit of your spouse, but for yours. There's a difference here. Some of us, if you are taking the land for yourself in your marriage instead of for God, then you will fight with your spouse. But hear me now. If you're taking land for God, you will fight for your spouse. That your heart will be, I love you too much to let it stay the way it is. I love you too much to let us continue down the path we've been going. You will go back to the word of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, for instance, men, you would say, I want to fight for my marriage, not fight with my wife. And so you will approach it God's way. In fact, just put this up on screen. Obedience means... Doing God's will, God's way. Obedience is doing God's will, God's way. So in your marriage, you say, I'm not going to fight with my spouse, but for her. So men, you will come to your marriage, and when there's a problem, you will approach it as Paul calls you to approach it. As Jesus laid down his life for the church, men, you are to lay down your lives for your wives. And women, if you're taking land in your home with your spouse, with your husband, then you too will follow what God says. You will follow God's will that it's for the reunion of people. And you'll do it God's way where you're not fighting with your husband, but you're fighting for him by showing him respect and honor as the text calls you to do. This is what it means when we are on his team, that we take land his way. Let me give you another example. Some of you need to take land and believe God is calling you to take land in your business or in your finances this year. And by the way, praise God, I hope you will see success. But if you are taking land for yourself and saying, God, come on, I'm going this way, come with me, then you will be tempted to see any sort of success or income as simply adding to your personal bank account. And hear me now, hear me now. I'm so grateful for how God blesses you and blesses me. I'm so thankful that he is a generous God. Anyone else here grateful that God is generous? So please don't hear me say that it is not okay to enjoy what God gives you. That's not the point. 
But when it is all about me, God help me, God show me the way, let me take land, then you will wrongly think that all the land that you take is for your sole benefit. But if you are on God's team, he says, I'm going to give you land because I know you'll be generous with it. Because you have a heart like me. I'm going to give you good things to enjoy. Yes, enjoy it, but be generous with it as well. There's a hungry and hurting world, and I'm going to use you to bless them. Or let me give you another example. Maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe it's not your finances. Maybe it is simply in an interpersonal relationship, and you have a place in your heart that is broken. You've been wounded, and you know you cannot advance in this area of life. You cannot take land in this area until you deal with the pain that has been caused. And if that's you, then God's will, God's way is that you would, hear me out, this is going to be a hard word for most people in this room. I know it is for me. But it is that you would not seek to prove you were right, but you will seek reconciliation. Because you may not be able to prove to the person that they were wrong. You may not be able to cause them to say they are sorry. But you can absolutely follow the words of our Savior Jesus who when asked by one of his followers, a guy named Peter, hey God, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? I mean, that's pretty magnanimous. And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, Peter, Peter. If you are on my team, it is 70 times seven. Meaning you do like I do. You follow my will, my way. See, the problem is not primarily horizontal. The problem for most of us is primarily vertical, that when we are wanting to do it God's will, God's way, it changes everything and the way that we take the land. Now, here's the beautiful thing. God says, I want to give you good things, but I want you to know it is still my stuff. You say, well, where do we get that from the text? Well, did you notice? He says, take off your sandals. Here's an interesting thing. In the ancient world, in the Old Testament, if you were to claim land, you would do so by walking the land. And then, if you sold the land to someone, you would give them your sandal as a receipt, proof of sale, because your sandals were representative of the land you had walked. Do you follow me here? God says to Joshua, Joshua... You take off your sandals because you don't own what you're standing on. It is already mine. But doing things God's will, God's way, notice what's so interesting. God then gives Joshua a battle plan for success with Jericho, doesn't he? Now, if it is my will, my way, I go in with guns blazing. I go in with sort of a strategic strategy that I'm going to try to sneak in from the side. I'm going to try to get the enemy off guard. But do you notice God's will, God's way is radically different from our way. He says, I want you now to what? Uh, I want you to march. Why? You're claiming land. This is your space that I'm giving to you. But I'm giving it to you to do it my way for my will, for my glory, for the good of the world. Because he doesn't just say, I'm giving the land. He doesn't just say, just march over. But notice he says, do this seven days. And on the seventh day, do it seven times around the city. What is the number seven significant? Seven represented perfection. It shows completion. It is the number associated with God. He's saying, Joshua, Joshua. 
I want you to march. I want you to claim the land. Don't do it like everyone else does it. You don't need the tools of the world for success. See, the reason we fight each other is because we think that the tools of the world are the way to win. And God says there's a better way. You march. You follow what I'm calling you to do. And you do it my way, but you do it for me. In other words, God is saying, I'm having you march, but it is still my land. I'm going to let you enjoy it. I think so often we get this wrong notion of fire, fighting fire. I have a friend, many friends in our church who are firemen. And I've actually seen a couple of scenarios where there is a fire on one house. But you know what? I've seen firemen roll up and they pull out their hoses. I've seen them use all sorts of creative ways to get the fire out. But the one way I've never seen them try to put out a fire is by lighting the house next door on fire. It doesn't work. God's will, God's way. So what question are we getting down to is simply this. Are you on God's side? Are you on his side? Before you take one more step today, this week, this month, this year, are you on God's side? Are you following God's will, God's way? I want to ask you a a touchy question, but it's one I think is so important. I've heard so many stories from within our family here of fear or concern or excitement because of the politics of this moment. I had calls on Wednesday during the inauguration. I had calls on Tuesday when President Trump flew off. I had calls when people heard President Biden take the oath of office. And there is this mixture here. And here's what is so interesting to me. I hear a lot of fear and a lot of worry. I hear a lot of us versus them. But the thing I did not hear, but the thing I'm going to call us to do, and we're going to take time to do it this morning, is we're going to follow God's will, God's way. You say, what does that have to do with politics or anything? Scripture tells us that we are to pray for those in leadership above us, church. I just want to ask you, this is between you and God, but have you already prayed for our new president? Also, have you already prayed blessings on our former president? God's will, God's way is not for us to selectively choose. But if you want to see new land this year, you step into God's will, God's way, every part of your life. And as you do, as you do, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see God's blessing on your life. Why? Because God blesses people who walk with him. And so we're going to pray here in a moment for our former president and for our new president. Because we want to be a church that follows God's will, God's way, all the way. Amen. I want to give you one last thing, though, before I pray. Because this is the thing for many of us in this room. You go, yeah, 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 but how do I know that God will take care of me? How do I know that God will really come through? Can I trust Him? There's one little detail in this text that you need to see. Joshua, right there, as he is told that he is standing before the commander of the army of the Lord. You say, who is this commander. Many times we think that must be an angel, perhaps Michael, the archangel, the commander of the armies. But that's not who this is. Because Joshua does something very strange. It says that he bowed down and he worshipped him. 
Any time in Scripture that you see a human interacting with an angel, there is often fear. They may fall down as dead men, but that is a sign of fear. The times, however, that you see in Scripture that a person bows down to an angel in worship, the angel says, stop it. You get up. I am just like you. I'll tell you to look at Revelation 19.10 for an example of that. Angels do not receive worship from humans because angels understand they, like you and me, are merely created beings not worthy of worship. Only one is worthy of worship. And angels always tell you to get up. Notice this character doesn't tell Joshua to get up, does he? In fact, he goes a step further. He then goes on and says, hey, Joshua, that's a good start, but take off those sandals. Where have we heard that before, family? At that burning bush moment, Exodus chapter 3, when God shows up and he tells Moses, take off your sandals. Who is the commander of the army of the Lord? See, this character does not claim to be God the Father himself. So who is this figure? Joshua is talking to Jesus. Joshua is thinking, how how can I trust that what you say is okay? That if I go your way and I do your will, how can I trust? And this is the Jesus who if he, if Joshua could have understood it, this is the Jesus who could have said, you don't know this, but in centuries to come, I'm going to die for you. You want to know how you can trust me? It's because I'm going to give all of me for you. The reason we go God's will, God's way, is because God, when, when your life was called, When the sin and the penalty of what you and I have done was being brought up, God says, I will pay the price. I will not call 10,000 angels and destroy the world. I will come and I will take the place on the cross in your stead. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. That when we do things God's will, God's way, we are reminded that God is good and he can be trusted. And so... I want to pray first for this nation, for our leaders. And then I want to pause. I'm going to let you fill in the blanks, whatever you need to lift up before the Father. And then I'm going to pray just a thanksgiving over you to God. And then we're going to take communion. Because that is the symbol of God giving everything for you and me. And the reminder that we can trust Him no matter what. So I'm going to ask you to get comfortable, get Get seated in a way that you can spend a moment with the Lord. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. If you feel comfortable, you might want to just sit there with your hands open, palms up, as a way of both giving to God what is on your heart and then receiving what he wants to give to you. Just take a deep breath. Father, we come before you as the leader of the universe. We come to you as our Savior, yes, but also as our Lord, our boss. You tell us what to do, and we say, yes, sir. In your scripture, you tell us that we are to pray for all in authority over us. So, Father, today... We thank you for all of the presidents that you have placed over us these years as America has been a nation. 
And in particular, this morning, we praise you and thank you for the four years that you gave Donald Trump as our leader and Mike Pence as our vice president. We ask blessings on them and their families. We ask your leading in the chapter to come for them as well. Father, we also, in advance, thank you for President Biden and Vice President Harris. We ask that you would bless them. We ask, as I ask every day for the past 15 years, that you would please, Father, bless them, lead them well so they can lead us well. When they choose what is right, may they have straight paths. When they attempt what is wrong, would you frustrate them? And as your children, as your people, I pray that we would especially, especially go before your throne and ask your help to have hearts that would be willing and want to pray for others, all others. And Father, whatever else may be on our hearts, we now lift that up to you in this moment of silence. Father, there are people in here who simply need to hear from you today to know how to take their next step in their marriage or in their finances or their relationships or their health. They're not sure where to take their next step or how to go forward, but their hearts are open to you, and I pray that you would hear the sincerity of their hearts and the willingness of their hands to move in the direction that you're calling them. Would you bless them this year as they follow close to you? And Lord, as a church, if there ever comes a moment that we begin to call you to join us in our crusade, that we would stop and instead see where you're already working and join you in your victory march of restoration and reconciliation. We love you and we thank you through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.